The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. We are back with an episode a little different than all of our other episodes. Mm-hmm. We've been trying and this the first the first episode we've done with just the two of us in a while. Honestly, it feels good to be back. It does. I'm excited <laughs> to just like chat. I know. And we've got some like pretty heavy topics to talk about today, but we'll keep it productive. We'll keep it forward thinking and it won't be we'll too keep negative. It fun. We'll keep it fresh. Yeah. Fun and fresh talking about <laughs> thousands and thousands of people getting laid off this week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not fun and fresh, but we are fun and fresh. Does that Yeah, we are. We are. That's all we've got going for us at this point. Um, so if that wasn't just the biggest spoiler alert in the world, I'm sorry, but um, we have been inundated the past couple of weeks seeing massive companies that we've looked up to for so many years undergoing serious layoffs. And um, I'm sure that this always happens. And this is not the first round of layoffs that we've experienced in our lifetime for sure. And COVID, well, yeah, especially, I was going to say COVID, the beginning of COVID. Oh, it's exacerbated that totally. But I think what's so interesting is reading through the statements that these companies, CEOs, and teams are making, I'm like, oh my gosh, there are some common themes across Mm -hmm. a lot of these companies that caused their layoffs. And um, Emma and I were just chatting last week about it. And I'm like, why don't we put out a podcast just sharing our thoughts, sharing our observations about the similarities and parallels across these companies. And if we can save people who are either working in a corporate environment where there is aggressive hiring right now, or for your own companies, thinking about how you want to structure your own org chart, it's worth having this discussion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think we have unique experience on it too, because we've been in very fast growing companies. We've seen what rapid hiring can do. Um, and so we have our own expertise and then, yeah. yeah, obviously our audience, there's a lot of business owners. And so when you think about growing your company, even if it's not at this scale, just thinking about how you hire, how you grow, mm-hmm. um, there's probably going to be takeaways for you in this episode, no matter where you are at with your business. And it just things to think about. Obviously, we're not the experts, but we have observations. We do. And that is actually such a great call out. We were talking about this before we hit record. This is by no means us saying that we've got this figured out. I'm going to put that disclaimer out here, yeah. right here, right now. Like, we don't hire not- me as the new Peloton CEO because <laughs> I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Okay. We are not I'm not CEOs. applying for that job. <laughs> This is literally just like third-party objective observer. Can we take a look at these press releases? Can we identify some themes? And can we all be a little bit smarter leaving this conversation than we were going into it? If so, then we've done our job. Exactly. (laughs) That's all our job is. Okay. (laughs) So don't come after us. Don't cancel us. Um, We don't have enough employees that they get it to go through layoffs yet. No. (laughs) Because we're growing slow. Yes. And sustainably. And intentional. Yeah. 
We are. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are looking at a couple primary examples, namely um, Glossier and Peloton. But I also went through um, press releases and statements from Purple, Zillow, Homey, and a whole bunch of other tech companies. But the Glossier and the Pelotons cut deep because I'm a huge fan of both mm-hmm. of those companies and also because they're D2C darlings. They are mm-hmm. like the innovators in the space. Glossier was like the keystone direct-to-consumer company that literally was valued at $1.8 billion yeah. five months prior to these layoffs. And then Peloton was like the the darling of COVID. When everyone else had nowhere to go, Peloton you know, was the saving grace. And We'll get into why that actually was their downfall, but it's just you see these these numbers, and we're talking 20, 25% of their employee base getting let go in one day. Mm-hmm. It's it like, hurts. what happened? Yeah. And yeah, I think just to your point about like how much we've looked up to these companies and still do, like I'm sure they're going to pivot and I'm excited to see how they do that. But yeah, like Emily Weiss literally <gasps> pioneered the D2C playbook. Oh my gosh. And that's now used by so many beauty brands. And I actually think that's part of maybe what led to some of Glossier's downfall is that they aren't as special as they once were. Emily might've been the pioneer of that, but it doesn't mean it couldn't go get replicated. Oh yeah. And maybe these brands do something a little bit better or just they're the new shiny thing on the market. And so it's interesting how this has all played out for Emily, I guess. I know it. That's just a little side note, but I do really respect her and what she's built because I think so much of the D2C beauty space, she has kind of led the charge in. And so all the respect Okay, so is basically where I'm getting at. If you're listening, Emily, I love you. (laughs) We we respect you. I mean, (laughs) there have been a few uh, cracks in the system, but we'll we'll get to those in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we are obviously super familiar with Glossier. I wonder if it's because we are in like the Shopify e-commerce bubble. So for everyone that isn't in that bubble and maybe listening to this podcast, Glossier is a direct-to-consumer e-commerce first beauty brand. They develop all of their own products. And I think they actually sell other people's products too. Does that sound right? Do they? I don't it might just know. be their own. Um, but what's really cool about Glossier is, yes, they're a beauty brand. They're also touted as a technology company. And so I remember way back in the early Shopify days, Glossier was always an example that we showed because they had an entirely custom front end. Their buying experience was so revolutionary compared to other people on the market. And they were this clean, simple, like, I don't like I was going to say uncomplicated, that's the same as simple, but their buying experience was just so few steps and their aesthetic was so clean and clear relative to other e-commerce brands that had pop-up after pop-up and bright colors and movement on the screen. And it was just like, they were cutting through the noise in such a beautiful way. Um, And then they also were a huge, huge factor in the clean beauty, minimalistic beauty movement. Um, The no makeup makeup. The no makeup makeup. Literally, that is Emily. Mm Mm-hmm her doing. So anyways, it's really interesting because the way that they grew um, was by carving their own path, right? They had this entirely custom technology infrastructure. They started investing in POS. They had all these APIs that they were leveraging internally. And at a time, that was their competitive advantage. They had such strong vertical integration that they were able to make cuts on a dime. They were able to push kind of that that avant-garde e-commerce experience. However, that takes a lot of people to manage. And there's a reason that a lot of people outsource to people like Shopify or agencies, and they incur a ton of technical debt. Literally, that's what I was just about to say. I'm like, maybe they should have taken that Shopify sales call. 
Oh my okay, gosh. Maybe they should have picked up the phone when we reached out because we, I know we all reached out. I know every fucking sales rep reached out. But it's so but, true. Yeah. Like, and that was something that we talked about a lot in the sales process at Shopify for businesses looking at using Shopify who are on something custom is it depended who to, who the decision maker was in that room because yeah. if it was a tech guy, he wasn't voting for Shopify because it meant he lost his job. Totally. Totally. So anyways, aye, aye, aye. maybe they should have taken that call because they could have <laughs> cut down their talent cost by a lot. And I guess the reason in case that went over some people's head is because you don't you aren't taking care of the actual infrastructure of your website when you use Shopify. Shopify is self-hosted, so you don't mm -hmm. need engineers doing all of that backend stuff. And that's one of the beautiful parts of it. That's what makes it a lot more affordable than building your own custom site because you just don't need the same manpower. Glossy was also really good at raising money. That's the other thing I'll share with them, <laughs> with the audience, mm -hmm. I should say, is they never had problems raising money. And Emily is a great CEO. She's very um, connected. And so they... And very charismatic. Very charismatic. Yeah, has done so many things right. So we're certainly not knocking her completely. Um, but basically had like carte blanche to go scale as quickly and as big as they could. And so um, there's a really, really interesting quote here that I want to insert. It's from Steve Jobs. And I've said this on other podcasts, but he was quoted as saying he is as proud of or more proud of everything that they said no to versus what they said yes to, which was the singular iPhone. And I just, that that quote has stuck with me because Emily said something very similar, but opposite when talking about kind of like the demise of, of um, I shouldn't say demise of Glossy because they, they were laid off 20% of their employee base, but it was all because they had competing projects and they had too many bodies running in too many different directions. And that lack of focus is what ultimately left them vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Wild stuff. Um, and so I think the, the takeaway here and one of the takeaways that I um, wrote down is the importance of testing and validating when the decision you're making is permanent. And so there is a quote, I'm going to butcher this, but there's a quote that exists out there that says, if it's reversible, make the decision immediately. If it's permanent, take your time. And I mm -hmm. think that ethos or that that theory really applies here. Also, Emily had launched Play, which was another brand under the glossy umbrella, and she folded that with a, within a year. There was mm -hmm. precedence that hiring quickly isn't necessarily the right move, but I almost wonder if the damage had been done by that point. Yeah, maybe they already have the people on board. But yeah, like when you're making those bets, what are the inputs that you're looking at? How are you forecasting the demand? Like it's kind of what's coming to mind for me is like measure twice, cut once. Yes. You know, like literally, really, really dig in before you're making those calls. Yeah. And I think the the takeaway here for founders listening or people that are involved in hiring decisions for their own companies is like there are ways to prove concepts that don't mean hiring full-time bodies. And I think that's a yes. theme. That's the theme that Emma highlighted before we hit record is like the power of outsourcing and the power of using contractors. Do you want to mm -hmm. speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And like all this to say, it can be really appealing to hire and build everything in house, especially from someone I've worked with a lot of agencies on the marketing side in past life. So I know the downsides of working with an agency and how it can slow things down. And they're not cheap. No. Um, so for businesses that have built a lot of capital or sorry, have raised a lot of capital, um, yeah, of course it's appealing to hire people. These people know your brand better. They're a more nimble team. They work more closely with each other. Things get done quicker. Um, but it's also a lot harder to reverse than hiring on an agency oh, yeah. 
and then firing them when you don't need them. That's not going to hit the press because that's normal. Agencies get fired all the time. All the time. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, yeah, hiring an agency might be expensive. It might slow things down a little bit, but outsourcing actually can make a lot more financial sense because it's more cost effective than building a new team. Because not only are you looking at salary when you're hiring someone, you're looking into the time spent in the recruiting process. You're looking at the onboarding process. Like Uh it's not just the salary that you're paying this person. No, it's so true. And we were chatting before we hit record our first, um, like when we first started at Shopify, we didn't have any onboarding infrastructure. And so we were literally just like winging it. This was also before Gong. We didn't have calls to go back and listen to. We were literally learning out like on the phone with CTOs of massive companies, which is wild. And I'm like, um, I don't know why you should listen to me either, sir. I'm going to go now. (laughs) I'm going to see myself out. (laughs) But it's so funny because it took us two years to ramp. Like we were closing deals, obviously, but two years to hit full quota consistently. And like, that is a huge suck of money from poor Shopify. Um, Had only they, they trained us and reduced that ramp, they would have seen a lot more out of us. Yeah. Yeah, like how many people can you bring into the organization that you can actually put the time and investment into getting the ROI from that person? How many people can you bring in to actually do that well? That's a question you need to be asking yourself. Do you have the infrastructure in place? Do you have the people? Do you have the programs? Like, have you thought that through? If you haven't, don't be hiring yet. Yeah. Figure that piece out first. Oh my gosh, it's so true. For some reason, in this space, we congratulate companies based on their headcount growth year over year. Like, do you ever hear that? Like a founder's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they took a team of two and changed it into 2,500. And it's like, since when like, should okay, that you be got a of pride? Yeah, literally. Yeah. You raise money? It doesn't actually say anything about the company. Yeah. It's wild to me. So Kelsey, how do you solve them? <laughs> well, I definitely think the testing and validate helps a lot right? You want to make sure that you're focusing in the right area before you start hiring for it. Um, And maybe, maybe, maybe this is a good time to introduce our research on Peloton. Because I know in my past experiences when I've seen layoffs and been a part of layoffs, it's been emotional reactions to environmental factors. COVID's a big part of it. Launching a new markets is a big part of it. Trying to keep up with demand is a big part of it. And that is where Peloton really, really felt the weight of all of these issues. So just a little recap for anyone that doesn't know Peloton, I I feel sorry for you. But um, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Peloton is, they are an at-home workout system. They have a combination of an app with streamed classes and then a whole bunch of hardware. They really first came onto the scene because of their spin bikes. And then they launched treadmills, which actually got recalled. So there was already a little bit of a crack in the foundation. Um, And then with COVID, everyone working from home, the demand completely surged. I'm talking like 66% growth month over month, like absolutely wild demand. And obviously for a company that wasn't anticipating that, they don't have the manufacturing infrastructure. They don't have the people in the warehouses ready to make all of this product. And so their CEO saw all of this demand and wrongly assumed that it was a COVID reality as opposed to just a COVID bump, hired a whole bunch of people, hired warehouses of teams, even bought Precore, which was a fitness manufacturing company, for $420 million in the middle of the pandemic, just hoping that this was a shift that was here to stay somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, an assumption was made that they would maintain that same rate of growth indefinitely. 
they did not consider whether or not that demand would decrease and how are they going to re- respond to that or would competition increase or both. So I think overall their TAM or their total addressable market was just not as big as they thought it was because not only was yeah, people working from home and working out from home, a new thing that we didn't think, oh, maybe once this is over, people are going to want to go back to the gym. Yeah. Um, but also Pelotons are not cheap. No. And so how right. many people can actually afford a Peloton? Probably most of the people that have that much disposable income bought one without thinking about it at the beginning of the pandemic. How yeah. many people are still evaluating that decision two years later who can also who are also in the bucket of people that can buy one? Yeah. Yeah. And actually what I think is so interesting, and I don't want to point fingers, this is purely an observation and my line that I'm drawing between the two, but Peloton had a really rocky start. The CEO had a really tough time getting funding originally and actually had to rely on crowdfunding to release their first line. Oh, I didn't know that. Wild. And so he didn't do a great job. And this is obviously like not necessarily his fault, but just from the the articles that I've read, he didn't do a great job instilling confidence in the company and in the space ahead of time. Um, and I just think that not having that backing, not having the funding to, to grow sustainably over time is what made this such a juicy opportunity in his mind when the demand did spike, he was both feet first. And Mm -hmm. obviously that, that bit them in the ass. They ended up laying off 2,800 people, 2,800 people. It's 20% of their workforce. Cause yeah, when you think about it, it's like, yeah, the business is suffering that sucks, but like 2,800 people lost their job. Oh my gosh. People with families to support people. Like, It's like these are big decisions that impact people's lives. They're not to be taken lightly. Totally. The company had a history of struggling with profitability to start. Their stock price was extremely volatile and was consistently underperforming relative to forecasts. And then if you look at the Glassdoor reviews, um, a consistent theme, to say the least, of big promises, very little follow through. And this is not to shit on anybody, of course. Like We know that business is tough, but... um, but yeah, I think it's 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 in moments like these where you actually start to like look under the hood that you realize it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things are leadership issues more than anything Bingo. else. Bingo. Um, so I actually saw an internal deck that was leaked from Peloton of when they did the layoffs, like what they said to the company. Okay. And they highlighted five reasons that led to this needing to happen. Lack of management qualifications, poor decision-making, lack of financial discipline, misalignment of interests, and loss of credibility. And in this deck, John Foley, the former CEO, was listed next to all of them. Like he was the one carrying the weight of all of those reasons. Aye, aye, aye. That's a lot of reasons. (laughs) And they all tie back to something that we think is worth avoiding, which is emotional decision-making. Oh my gosh. Yes. this I just got goosebumps. This is so serious. And I feel so strongly about this. Um, in The Obstacles, the way the whole first chapter is talking about the greatest leaders in history, whether they are war generals, presidents, CEOs of companies, it all comes down to this singular quality of being unflappable or unshakable. And so what is what the theme here in the book is, is all about is that turbulence and trials are inevitable. How you respond to them has the greatest predictor of your future outcome 
versus anything else. It wasn't the people who had the biggest armies. It wasn't the companies that had the most funding. It were it was the leaders who were able to see the forest through the trees, were able to take a long-term perspective and bring their teams through whatever those obstacles were that ended up with the best results. And this is such a prime example of an emotional reaction to a surge in demand ultimately really hurting a company a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. 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 Stoicism <laughs> is a vibe. Oh, it is okay. such a vibe. <laughs> if you haven't read Ryan Holiday, you should definitely do, especially you if you're in leadership, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Very good stuff. Totally. Totally. And so I don't know. Do we have much more to share on this? Should we wrap here? Yeah. I really think if I can just recap four themes for everyone listening, number one is don't react emotionally to anything good or bad. Number two, test and validate before making permanent decisions. Number three is think and consider seriously your contractors and outsourcing options so that you're not only hiring in-house. And then finally, throwing more bodies at the problem is almost never the answer. Mm-hmm. You summed it up perfectly. <laughs> bingo, so, bango. I hope this was helpful. I hope it was interesting. And if you guys are curious, um, I highly recommend you look at all of these statements and releases from Emily Weiss and from um, John and all of these other CEOs that have been going through layoffs over the last several weeks. Very, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. And like I said, I would not want to be in their position. No. Not a fun thing to have to deal with. And I don't know... I mean, they probably did better than I could have, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully this just gave you some things to think about um, in your own career, your own business, whatever you're up to. And hopefully, yeah, like Kelsey said, it was interesting. One thing I will say is that the reason we do these solo episodes is because we got really, really positive feedback from an experiment that we ran several months ago. And so my ask here is if you enjoy this like journalism style podcast where we take something that's happening, kind of like a current event and translate it into our own experiences. If, if this is fun for you to listen to, if you want more of this content, please send us a DM. It's the only way we know what content to make as we keep pushing forward. So I would love to hear what you think. Yes. Yes. Please send us DMs. Check us out on Instagram at they.get.it. We honestly love chatting with you all. Have a wonderful few days and you'll have another episode from us in a couple days. See you then. See you then.